Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. And today we're going to talk about the Incarnation, which is the mystery that we celebrate on the Feast of Christmas. We're going to talk about the Incarnation as the greatest miracle ever, why it's so fundamental and what it reveals. And we're going to do this by looking at it through the lens of a book called Miracles by C.S. Lewis. And so the point in history when the word becomes flesh is referred to by C.S. Lewis as the grand miracle. Here's what he says. The Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, which is uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into it, his own universe, and rose again, bringing nature up with him. If it's if the carpenter who builds a table enters into the table and then lifts the table up uh, to union with, with himself, the carpenter, but to understand what this means in the relationship between not an inorganic entity like a table, but uh, between God, the human being, and its implications for all of, Christi of all the world, Christian and non-Christian, is the point of C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles. So let's think about what we're celebrating uh, at Christmas. Uh, if man had not sinned, uh, the human person, and some of the fathers of the church speculated on this, uh, still God, to reveal his glory and the glory of his creation, would have joined his creation. It would have been the marriage of heaven and earth. That's how we talk about it in Christian terms. The person that we're celebrating on the Feast of Christmas isn't just a Davidic Messiah like we've talked about in the four weeks of Advent. Um, not a political Messiah in the sense that he's going to start a new dynasty that rules a uh, kingdom on this earth. But the one king, the cosmic king, Christ the king, remember we celebrated that feast just before, at the end of the last liturgical year, and just before we enter into this liturgical year. He's not just a new high priest, which was also foreseen by the prophets. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament talks about Jesus as the new high priest, that he dies on the cross and he offers himself up for us. And so the cross is the altar, Jesus is the priest, and Jesus is the sacrifice. But the incarnation in Christianity is more than just this forensic understanding, this explanation about how human beings are saved by the cross. It's how God came to marry his creation, how his church in Christ is the culmination of his creative intent. So the mystery of Christmas is that the same baby, baby who's this helpless child in the manger who can't even reach up high enough to touch the muzzles of the animals there in the in the in the uh, in the stable, uh, he can't converse with his parents. He enters into all of creation in the virgin's womb when he's when he is um, uh, conceived in the virgin's womb and grows in the virgin's womb. He goes through the entire experience of being a human being that God Himself created, and then. Um, enters into death, and C.S. Lewis is going to tell us that it's this understanding 
not of a God just that dies and rises, but a God that descends completely into the reality of his uh, creation all the way down into death and then rises from the dead to bring all of creation back up to the Father Creator. Um, that the providence of God, uh, it, the providence of God is that God does provide for his nature um, and that miracles and the miracles that uh, maybe you've experienced a miracle, it's a sign of God's goodness, a sign of God's desire uh, to make creation right. I don't know if you saw it on CBS, but there was just a great uh, show, 20 minutes on, uh, it was a 20 minute long segment on a, that news program, 60 Minutes on CBS. And it was a very respectful uh, treatment of Lourdes. Uh, miracles, and you know at Lourdes where the Blessed Lady appeared to St. Bernadette Subiru, uh, there had been 70 approved uh, miracles where they say there's no medical explanation. And on that CBS special, they talked to number 70 and asked her what happened. And it's amazing what they have to go through um, to establish that something about nature is something we don't understand. Uh, a, a miracle is when God comes into nature, invades nature, but he doesn't violate nature's rules. He doesn't violate what we know of nature. So for the blind person, he never heals them and gives them x-ray vision. For the lame person, he doesn't heal them and give them wings to fly. Miracles show God's authority over creation, but also his desire to make human beings complete. So now think of what I've just said in the introduction about miracles, that the God becoming a human being is the greatest miracle because it's the sign that God wants to share his divine life with his creation. That's what makes Christianity. It isn't that, uh, just that, God dies, rises from the dead, and will live forever after. Um, it's that eternal life is life joined completely with God. So let's now turn um, to a brief discursus explanation of what the readings are for the Feast of Christmas, and then uh, maybe go over C.S. Lewis's meditations on the Incarnation and why it's such a powerful miracle. Christmas is actually a challenge for a preacher because there's three sets of readings. The first is from the Vigil Mass, and I'm just going to go through the Gospels. And the Gospel for the Mass on Christmas Eve is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, and it's Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. And why, does we, why do we start out with the genealogy on Christmas Eve? Because it's the family story of Abraham, and it's the family that Jesus enters into when he's, when he's conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's creative power underlying all of creation. Um, and this uh, doesn't make the laws of creation uh, arbitrary or whimsical, or God can disregard them whatever he wants. Is uh, God 
enters into it into the way that God understands. Um, so true, probably modern biology, uh, we can know we can't really explain um, the virginal conception of Mar of Mary, uh, Jesus and Mary, and virgin before, during, and after her pregnancy with Jesus. But what I point out is, um, you know, in the first century, you couldn't explain it either. Uh, it's not really about modern biology. Modern uh, doctors and biologists know a lot more about pregnancy than they knew in the first century. But the brute fact is the same. They knew in the first century, just like we know in the 21st century, the women don't become spontaneously pregnant. Um, but that the uh, power of the Holy Spirit uh, is uh, this assertion that all of the laws of nature are actually rooted in the create, created um, power of God, the creative power of God. Lewis spends a lot of time in his book, Miracles, talking about the difference between naturalism and supernaturalism. Uh, for him, uh, his basic uh, understanding of naturalism is what I would call materialism, but I'll always concede the field to C.S. Lewis because he's brilliant. But that the idea of the materialist, and goes back to David Hume, an 18th century Scottish philosopher, where the only way you can learn anything is through your five senses, your sight, your hearing, your taste, your smell, um, your touch. Um, and that's how he, he limited knowledge to those five things. And so necessarily, if that were true, um, then, um, then you know, really you're just limited to, to material reality. But of course, it's not true uh, because emotions, intellect, reasoning, none of these things are our five senses, but they are another way of understanding uh, reality. So C.S. Lewis would say, um, there's nothing, this is a quote from Miracles, nothing can seem extraordinary until you've discovered what is ordinary. Belief in miracles, far from depending on an ignorance of the laws of nature, is only possible insofar as those laws are known. So uh, the laws of nature are for us a plumb line. This is what we expect. So how do these 70 healings occur at Lourdes, uh, these spontaneous healings? Because they are spontaneous. They happen like overnight or right there at the shrine. Um, there just isn't uh, an explanation that's currently available to medical science. And so when we're talking about the laws of nature and as it relates to the incarnation, why don't we say that the laws of nature are true as far as human beings understand them, but there's more to the laws of nature than what human beings understand. Um, and so the idea of the genealogy is that God is underlying this call to the people Israel. He's chosen these people to be his chosen vehicle uh, to reveal himself to the world. Um, St. Pius the 12 said, spiritually, we're all Semites. Um, Christianity is just one form of, uh, of Judaism that came out of the first century. We don't think of ourselves that this way. But all the early Christians were Jews, and the way that they understood Jesus was in the light of Judaism. So in that genealogy of Matthew, you have all sorts of people. You have uh, really noble people and noble women, but you also have prostitutes, you have incest, you have foreigners. 
because Jesus comes into the world as it is, not some kind of ultra cleaned up world. Um, Lewis says in his book, Miracles, that it's childish to argue about whether or not the world is good or evil. He says that the best way to understand the world is it's something very good that's been spoiled. And that, I think, is a very Christian way of understanding it. So after the vigil mass, and it's going to be wonderful here at St. Mark, uh, we'll have midnight mass. And yes, midnight mass is at midnight. Um, and uh, in that setting, we read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. And it is about the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Um, and that goes back way into the Torah uh, and uh, uh, in uh, the prophecy of Balaam about a, a star rising out of, uh, out of Judah. And it's why Herod wanted, if you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, which we'll get on the Feast of the Holy Innocents, wanted to slaughter all the children, all the male children in Bethlehem because uh, it's said that the uh, Edom would be crushed by this star that comes out of the house of Judah. And of course, he was an Edomite, so it was about self-survival for him. But Luke doesn't pick up on that part of it. Luke picks up on uh, heaven's invasion of this world, uh, coming in low under the uh, ground radar, as it were, angels appearing to shepherds, an angelic pronouncement, a savior was Christ the Lord. And of course, Christos means the anointed one. And it comes from the Hebrew Mashiach or Mashiach, which is because the uh, Jewish kings were all anointed with oil. We translate Christos um, as Christ, but also in the Greek, he's referred to as Kyrios, which we translate as Lord. And those go back to uh, the way that uh, people in the, the the Hebrew scriptures refer to Yahweh, and uh, and so that this way that Luke tells the story is that um, uh, this messianic promise has been fulfilled, but it's John's gospel which I think people always love, and it's the uh, gospel on Christmas Day. And who doesn't remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And nothing came into being except through him. And then he says, Jesus, uh, this, this Word, this Logos, human, this reason of God, which is where we get our understanding of human Logos, human reasoning, um, that uh, uh, this Logos uh, is the way all things were made because it's God and creation together, the incarnation, uh, the second person of the Trinity and Jesus of Nazareth. You know, when Lewis talks about it, he says, it's much less important that the doctrine itself should be fully comprehensible. He says, we believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in summer, not because we can clearly see the sun. In fact, we can't even see directly into it. It's because we can see everything else. And so it's the explanatory power of, uh, of the Christian story that explains the nature and the purpose of, of all reality. And so I want to go in a little more depth for just a few mo minutes about um, chapter 14 
in C.S. Lewis's book, The Grand Miracle. Uh, he says it's the grand miracle because it says that God enters into his uh, creation not to destroy it, not to, uh, uh, not to diminish it in any way, but to fulfill it. Uh, he says miracles aren't arbitrary. They're not raids on nature. But he says rather a planned invasion. And the invasion, invader has a plan for conquest and occupation. And that's what we would call the Catholic Church and how it is that the, the sacraments of the church actually have power. This lady came in to see me. God bless her. She, she was really struggling with uh, some mental health issues, I think. And she told me I could, uh, I could cure her. And I said, well, you know, that's really only curing comes from God. She says, no, you have authority. And then I said, do you mean the sacrament of the sick? And she said, that's it. And so she was greatly relieved when I gave her the anointing of the sick. I got to say, sometimes as a priest, maybe you take things for granted and that God reminds you of the power that he's given you in these beautiful sacraments. So, But the miracle of the incarnation is completely reflective of the nature of the human person. Uh, human beings are a microcosm. Um, so a microcosm is the cosmos, is everything that says, all of creation. But a microcosm would be the entirety or completion of the cosmos within one entity. So in the cosmos, there's the vegetable, the human, there's the, the animal, there's also the spiritual. There's at least those four aspects of the cosmos. And human beings participate in all of them. We have a vegetative nature. We take in nourishment like vegetables. We have social needs. Uh, there's a part of us that's animal-like. C.S. Lewis says that's one of the signs that we're more than human beings because human beings kind of get disgusted with their bodies. It's as if there's some interior conflict between their spiritual nature and their corporal nature. That would bear some reflection, but he does say that in chapter 14. But that the human person also uh, participates in the spiritual realm. Uh, spirits, created spirits, just like angels are created spirits. And spirit, the spiritual participates in the very nature of God. It isn't God but because it's created, and God is uncreated but it does participate in that nature. So the point of the miracle of the incarnation points to the telos, the end, the purpose of creation. It's that God creates everything, especially the human being uh, in his image and likeness. And it's supposed to, the human being is supposed to reflect God's image and likeness in the world. It says that in Genesis chapter one, we're made in the image and likeness of God but obviously a very spoiled image. And so the intent of the incarnation is to uh, change human beings to more closely reflect uh, God's own image in creation. And then this is a, a significant point. Um, Lewis says the pattern, God's pattern, how God does things is reflected in nature. So uh, for instance, um, that higher things take lower things up into themselves. So for instance, when we consume the Eucharist, we're taken up into God. Uh, he says, here's a really good example of it in nature. He says that a cube includes squares because a cube has six squares of sides. Um, but squares 
don't include cubes. Um, and so the higher form, the three-dimensional cube, takes up the lower form, the two-dimensional square, uh, into its person. Animals take up vegetable natures into their reality. We take animals and the vegetable nature into our reality when we consume them. When we participate in the sacraments, we enter into this higher spiritual reality that we're led up, led, led up to. And so compare that to the incarnation where God enters into the world all the way down into death to lift us up. Um, and it's how God operates in the sacraments. It's how he's designed nature. And so we see God's pattern um, in nature reflected in the incarnation that someone higher, the second person of the Trinity, comes into the lowliness of our, of our reality to lift us up. Um, and then <clears throat> that last part is, is the thing about, is nature good or evil? That's about the third part of chapter 14 on miracles. Um, Lewis, and I'll just summarize it. Lewis says, it's through the human person that all of nature will be lifted up. Um, that he, Jesus says it, the last will be first and the first will be last. So we were the last created according to Genesis, but the first redeemed. But St. Paul points out that, um, that um, all of creation is groaning, uh, waiting for its redemption. Um, Christianity has this cosmic understanding to it. And I think some forms of Christianity and how we can think about it reduces it to a get out of jail free card, you know, Salvation is escaping the flames. Um, well, yes, it's escaping hell. We, none of us want to go to hell. But it's what are we escaping to? Why are we running from the flames? Um, because we want to run into eternal life. So I want to spend just a few minutes and talk about motherhood and uh, some of these insights C.S. Lewis has offered um, about where is nature going? God's patterns in nature, especially in the incarnation uh, and the goodness of creation. So let's pull this all together in part three of this episode of Oral Valley Catholic. So reflect on this this Christmas. Um, God the Father is the creator of everything. He made everything. He made it out of nothing. Uh, it's his own creative thought, his own creative intent. When his son, the second person of the Trinity, enters into the natural order of things that the Father has created, he uh, becomes a little child in a manger, and he grows up in a family where he is a tecton. And tecton is a Greek word for basically handyman. So he makes and he fixes things. Um, have you ever thought about that in regard to the incarnation of Christ Jesus, uh, that he is born into a family and comes from a father that makes and fixes? And so uh, how is that person reflected uh, in the miracle of Christmas? You know, one of the things that he, Christ entered into in the incarnation is the miracle of pregnancy. And in a previous Christmas, I talked about this because I think, gosh, this is so interesting. But there's two things 
that are in human pregnancy and the mom's relationship with the child, which is uh, the image of our relationship with God. So think of this first, uh, the placenta, uh, which is the only human organ that two people cooperate in making, mother and child. The, the placenta is built by cooperation uh, between these two people. Uh, the picture of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel where Michelangelo uh, depicts God reaching out to touch Adam's finger, not quite making the connection, but that there's this energy exchange between the two in the painting. Um, in the creation of the placentia, the cells from the trophoblast, which are a part of the embryo, reach out towards mom's uterine wall. And so the embryos actually sends out like tembrils, this tro trophoblast um, towards mom. At the same time, uh, spiral arteries from mom's uterus reach out towards her baby. I mean, uh, I know they have pictures of this somewhere, but that must be an amazing thing. Mom and baby are embracing for their first time deep in her womb. Um, it's a dance that will connect them for the entirety of our lives. We love our dads, but our connection with our mothers are, are really very visceral. I always like what Pope Benedict said about that wife. Father is the proper image of God um, because uh, God is other. And that when the child leaves mom's womb and encounters father, it's maybe the first time that baby will encounter someone who is not their mother, who approves of them. Uh, but the placentia is one of humanity's most important organs. Uh, but if we were, I guess, if uh, we saw God as mother like a fertility goddess or mother nature, uh, we'd be pantheists because of that connection. Um, and it is true, uh, creation uh, is our mother. We take so much from creation. But that spiritual nature does not come to us from creation. It comes from our Father in heaven. So the second part that I wanted to point out about pregnancy, and I know you've probably heard of this too, but it's called fetal maternal microchimerism. Isn't that a great thing? In Greek mythology, the chimera was a fire-breathing monster with a lion's head, a goat's body, and a serpent's tail. Isn't that an interesting um, analogy moms for your little baby in your, in your womb. Uh, but anyway, there you have it. Um, in, in the presence of a small population of genetically distinct and separately derived cells from each individual, that is like a chimera, mom and baby are mixed. That means that mom has cells of baby in her body and baby has mom cells in uh, their bodies. And baby cells aren't just floating around mom causing trouble. No, they have to be born first before they can call their, cause their mom's trouble. The cells in mom's body actually help mom. Um, the baby cells are the part of the signal that gets mom to lactate in order to uh, feed baby. And uh, they have found the cells of children in women's uh, brains, breasts, thyroid, skin, decades after their birth. So yes, ladies, this is why they are on your mind, or at least one of the possibilities. Um, and they act, besides actively helping mom produce milk and help her heal, because uh, 
Baby cells are also found in collagen in mom's body. And so that helps promote healing, especially after the physical trauma uh, of mom giving, giving birth. Um, sometimes the message is uh, that a million people get pregnant every year or whatever it is. Uh, so it's really nothing special, but the truth is it's the most special thing that we experience in human beings because it is absolutely unique to that mother and child uh, connection. Uh, that's why I think moms and dads never think of their kids as nameless zeros or always individuals because of these experiences of these little microcosms coming into your world, but they're hopefully uh, never more delightful than they are at Christmas. So I'd like to just pull it together and talk about the wedding of heaven and earth because God, our creator, the tecton who made us, sends his son, who's a chip off the old block, to go down to the deepest well of human and natural dysfunction and to heal it. And the great sign of that uh, is the resurrection where everything is remade and, and re, uh, recreated this is what the early church gets on to. And why the incarnation, according to C.S. Lewis, is the fundamental um, mystery and miracle of creation. And every one other of uh, Christ's miracles or the miracles of Lourdes or the miracles we, uh, we experience in our lives are somehow just a reflection of what uh, the creative intent of God is when he took on uh, humanity in the Virgin Mary's womb and his intent for all those little babies who take on their, their humanity in their mother's womb. So all you pregnant moms out there, if you're listening, God bless you uh, and, and help you to bring a, a happy and healthy child into our world. But that marriage where there's sharing between um, husband and wife, which is mirrored in the sharing between wife and child, is the image of the sharing between the uncreated God and his creation. And the perfect sacrament of that is the Eucharist, the source and summit of Christian faith, where God feeds us and takes us up into himself. Remember in C.S. Lewis's understanding of miracles, the greater can take up the lesser. A, a, a cube contains six squares, but squares do not contain cubes. God can take, contain human beings, but we cannot contain God. Anyway, there's some thoughts for the incarnation. Uh, share them with your kids and the people you love, and uh, we'll see you again next week. <laughs>